All right, we're going to be in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. Uh, but before we get there, I'm actually going to start in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 15 and 16. It'll be up on the screen for you in a minute. Uh, but before that, I'll give you a little context. Uh, I never like listening to a speaker I know nothing about. And so if you're new here, if you're visiting here or whatever, uh, my name is Danny Combs. I'm the student pastor here at Grace Bible Church. Uh, thank you. Uh, I started here 10 years ago last week, uh, and this is my last leadership role uh, preaching today. And so uh, that's what you're stepping into today. If you're new or unfamiliar, uh, I, I, my nickname in high school also was Crybaby Combs, and it's kind of carried throughout uh, my life. And so just know that as we go into this too, there could be some tears. I heard there's like some bets on how many times I'm going to cry throughout this. So uh, we'll see who wins, and hopefully you give me a cut of that. Uh, so this morning, we're going to talk about uh, how you smell, okay? Like, how do you smell? Um, and so, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 15 and 16, says this. It says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death to other a fragrance from life to life. And so when I was studying for this in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, this verse in 2 Corinthians came to me. Uh, I actually heard somebody teach on this before uh, and, and asked that question, how do you smell? And the whole point of that, I think, is in, in, in those verses, as a follower of Jesus, that you are either, you're putting off some kind of odor. And either it's a pleasant one or it's a really foul one. Uh, and so I think about like these two things, right? So think about some of the most pleasant smells that you can think of, like baking cookies, right? Like that smell uh, that like attracts you. I, I think about cartoons, if you watch cartoons growing up where, where there's the, the person in the cartoon that has that like the white stream of smell that you can see and then their body starts floating towards whatever that pleasant smell is. Does that make sense? Um, so I think about that, like when there's a pleasant smell it attracts people to that thing. But if there's a foul smell, um, then, it, then, it, then it repels people from that thing. Uh, we have six kids, uh, three of them are in diapers, and so um, a, a dirty diaper is a foul smell that, that I smell often. Uh, and whenever one of the older kids smells one of the younger kids come by that has a dirty diaper, they're like, oh gosh, somebody changed that, and they're like, go away. And they, they literally like scream sometimes when like, one of the kids with the full diaper comes by them like, oh, gosh. Uh, and so there's, there's, there's these two, and a very clear illustration to me that as believers, this is what he's saying, like that you're either putting off a pleasant aroma or a foul smell. And again, this is, and, and in that, those verses, he's, he's really referring to um, sacrifices in the Old Testament that was believed like, that, that the gods would smell and be happy with a, with a pleasant aroma of a sacrifice, right? So he's kind of speaking into that a little bit as well. But as we go through this passage in 1 Peter, in these uh, six or seven verses, that, that's what I, what I was thinking about the whole time, is that as believers, and I think this is what Peter's talking about, is that as believers, we are putting off one of those odors. And, and which one are you putting off? Um, the way that we live our life uh, and again, it, when we talked about what's going on in First Peter, 
the context of 1 Peter is Peter's writing to this group of people, uh, believers that are spread throughout this area, and they're being persecuted for their faith. There, there are literally people being killed for following Jesus. Uh, there, be, there are people being put in jail for following Jesus, and they're in this midst of the church is growing after Jesus died, but there's so much conflict and so many people that are coming up against the church and trying to kill people and put them in jail and torture them for following Jesus. And so in the midst of that kind of adversity, in the midst of that kind of persecution, will you live your life in a way that draws people to God or will you live your life in a way that turns people away from God? Uh, and I think what's why, why he's talking about this is, is again, we'll, I guess we'll start in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, Again, this is a time of, of persecution, and he says this, and he said it earlier in one of the earlier chapters, in the very first chapter, at the very beginning when he was addressing these people. He calls them again uh, in verse 11. It says, Beloved, I urged you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So again, he calls them sojourners, exiles. He called them that earlier, mainly meaning they're not citizens, and they're temporary residents, not only of the place that they are because they've been exiled and they're kind of scattered throughout and they don't have a place that is their home, they don't have a, a nation that is really their identity, but even more than that, even deeper than that, as followers of Jesus, this world, the earth, is not their home. And in light of that, and he makes it, he wants to emphasize that because he says it twice, sojourners and exiles, it's this emphasis that he's putting on the fact that they are not citizens and that they're temporary residents. So these two things paired together, the fact that they're not citizens, the fact that they're temporary residents of where they're at, and the fact that there's persecution all, the, all around them, this really high-pressure situation. I know for me, and it's probably not this way for most of you, but if I'm in a high-pressure situation, uh, and th then that's when I'm the most, it's the easiest for me to react in dumb ways. When, when pressure is high, when I feel like uh, life is difficult, it's easy for me uh, it's a recipe for me to, to justify all of my bad choices. Uh, like I've eaten, like a, uh, life is a little difficult right now for us and not knowing wh what our next step is right now fully. I know that we're leaving here, but I don't know what that ne where we're going to. Um, and so that's scary for me and for my family. Uh, I've got a few people to provide for, you know, and so uh, I want to do that well. But in times like this where, where things, where life is hard, um, it's easy to make bad choices. Like, I've eaten probably like a, like a half, like I'm talking about the, the top of this thing, right? I've eaten like half of that of banana pudding in like the last two days. Um, and it like helps me cope with some things and it, and it tastes good. But in all honesty, it's a bad choice, right? Uh, but it's easier for me to justify that. It's like, oh, I'm having a hard time. I could go eat a whole thing of ice cream, you know? That's fine. Um, but if you have a lot of bad days strung together, then you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Uh, but I think all of us do that. Where, when, when life is difficult, when the pressure is high, it's easier for me to yell at my kids. Uh, and it's easier for me to justify that. Like, well, we're late, and we have to be here, and it's church, and it's good, and you have to all look good and make me look good. And so get in the car. Let's do this, right? And I can be really short, and I can yell at them when pressure is high. And I think Peter knows this is a tendency of all of us as people. It's like when, pressure, when we're in pressure situations, pressure is high, it is easy for me to make bad choices and then justify those bad choices. 
And so I think for us as believers, especially in the context of what I was saying before, when pressure is high and, wor- and the world and things around you are pressing against you, it's easy to be a jerk to other people and then to justify being a jerk to other people. And, he, and he's encouraging us to not live that way. It's easy to put off a foul odor instead of the pleasant aroma that God calls us to. So when life is hardest, I'm most tempted to make bad choices. I'm most tempted to be a jerk. I'm most tempted to make those things feel justified. Verse 12, he goes on. He says, even though this is happening, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So you can just follow a bunch of rules and look good? No, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So the whole point in living in a way that is pleasant to those around us is that they would make people glorify God. By the way that they see me live my life in the midst of trials and hardship, that if they watch my life, that it would be pleasant enough in a way that they would want that, that it would be attractive to them. So Peter is encouraging us to still live an honorable, I looked up that word in the Greek and it says beautiful, to live in a beautiful way in the midst of these times because that will draw people to God. No matter the circumstances and especially in difficult ones, we should live in a way that highlights the beauty and the goodness of God. Like that's what he's calling us to, that I should react differently because I have Jesus in the midst of trials, in the midst of hardship, and not cop out and say, like, well, life is hard, so I can do this and I can be a jerk. He's saying, no, like, fight against that, because especially in the midst of darkness, especially when times are hard, if you can act in a way that's so countercultural, then you will stand out even more, and you will make God look even better and, and make him look more accurate, how beautiful that he actually is. And so that's, that's the whole general picture that he's trying to do. He's trying to tell us, it's like, man, you should live your life in a way that is pleasant and pleasing to those around you, that draws people in, not, not just to you, more importantly, to the God that you are ser- serving, the God that you are living for. So the way that you live should draw people in and make them ask questions of how can you live your life like that in the middle of this when literally people are trying to kill you. And I don't think that means that you can't be sad and you can't be frustrated. I think those things are allowed, and that's good. I think you're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be frustrated when times are hard. But it doesn't give you a license to be a jerk. And that's where we often take it too far. He goes a step further, verses 13 through 14. And he says this, or really 13 through 15. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake... To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So he calls us to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. You know what's interesting about that? He doesn't call us to be subject to good human institutions. He doesn't call us to be subject to good leaders. 
It says, be subject to every leader that is over you. The emperor, in, the, in our context, would be like the president, governors, like state officials, anything like that, and, and really, any, anybody in authority over you. He's, go, he's going to go uh, next week, whoever preaches next week, they'll talk more of the specific relationships that Peter talks about, slaves and masters, uh, husbands and wives, and he goes into more personal relationships, but right now he's talking about the governing bodies. And anybody that is leading this country for us, that we should be subject to them. All governing authorities that we're, be call, we're called to be subject uh, to your favorite ones and your least favorite ones. Whether you're all about being the change or making America great again, it doesn't matter. Like, you're supposed to be subject to no matter who's in charge. And remember who he's addressing at the time. So we think it's hard with the leaders that we have in place and the politics and all that sort of stuff. But remember, what did we just talk about? Who's he addressing? The Roman empires and the Romans are in control. And they're killing Christians. So he's even telling them, this group of people that has taken over and is literally trying to get you killed and put in prison... You need to be subject to them. That's difficult. So how does that look? Like, how can that be, like, because certainly he's not going to call us to be subject to rulers and the authorities if they're opposing God and what God wants. I don't think he's ever asking us to do that. I don't think God's ever asking us to stop following Jesus or turn away from him just to follow government leaders. And so it can be this tricky balance. So what does that look like? How, is that like, how do we actually flesh that out in life here and now? Um, I think the best picture that I've ever seen of that, how to live this out, out well with, with governing authorities, is, is the life of Daniel. If you read Daniel chapters 1 through 6 especially, and you look at Daniel's life, like take time and look at that. What happens with Daniel? He's living in his place. He gets exiled, taken out into this other land, and he's forced to live there. He's literally taken from his home, forced to live with these people that have taken him over. He's a teenager at that, like, ripe age where you should be a punk, you know? Uh, where you should be, like, against everybody anyway, even the people that love you. Uh, and that's the age that Daniel's taken out. But if you watch every step of the way in Daniel's life as he's in exile, and these pagan people that don't believe in God are leading him, He's never a jerk to them, ever. Not once does he try to like buck up and show how good he is. Even when it comes to, so if you think about Daniel's life, he's taken into exile in a foreign country, forced to learn their ways, forced to learn about their gods that aren't the one true God, and he doesn't fight that. Because he knows if he just learns about their God, it's not taking him away from the God that he loves. He can do that still. But the second that they try to get him to follow their God or to say that he worships their gods, that's when he's, he stands firm. But even when he's standing firm in those times, whether it's uh, not eating the meat and just eating vegetables, whether it's a fiery furnace or, or being thrown into a lion's den because of, because of following God over following those people, he's still never a jerk to any of those leaders. And if you look at the life of Daniel, every time, even in the middle of conflict, those foreign leaders who don't know God or love God Love Daniel. Like when you get to the lion's den part, the, the guy in charge gets tricked into throwing Daniel into the lion's den because these other guys are jealous of Daniel and they get him uh, thrown in there. And, and, and literally the king is like weeping because he knows he has to do this so that people don't revolt on him. But he loves Daniel so much that it hurts his heart to, want, to have to put him in the lion's den. 
And it says he doesn't even sleep that night. He paces and paces, and he's the first one there the next morning to, to hope that his God came through. And of course he does. And then what happens? A whole nation is told about that God that Daniel believes in. Why? Because Daniel was never a jerk to people. Even in the midst of the hardest times of his life, he treated the people over him who did not love Jesus with respect. So anybody in your workplace, if your parents aren't believers, if your teachers aren't believers, if they are and they're just jerks to you, you're not supposed to be jerks to them. You should live your life in a way that is a pleasant aroma that smells like baking cookies and not a dirty diaper. Don't be a dirty diaper. Nobody wants to be around that. It's really crappy. <laughs> That's what I love about Daniel. Even when the like, pressure was the highest. And he had every right in the world probably to, to be a jerk. He chose not to. He loved those people well. He stood firm where he needed to stand firm. But even in standing firm, it was with gentleness and with love for the people around him. And people respected him for that. So that's what I think it looks like for us to, to live under leaders that aren't godly. And then he goes on to say, Peter goes on to say, verses 16, verse 16 says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So he's saying, don't get it twisted where you think you're freedom and there's so much grace that you can just live however you want to live. That's not freedom. Freedom's not just living however you want to live. Freedom's living the way that God created you to live. It's not a license to do whatever we want, however we want. Freedom in Christ is, is a freedom to be who God created you to be and to be that pleasant aroma no matter what's going on around you. The, the beauty of this verse to me is like the freedom in Christ and what grace gives me is that even when I screw up as a follower of Jesus, even when I screw up, and, and you can ask my kids, I mean, they're here today. You can ask them if I ever yell at them, and they probably will tell you I yelled at them yesterday. But, you know, they hopefully would also tell you that every time that I do that, I ask them for forgiveness. That I'm sorry for that. And I ask them to forgive me. So that even in my screw-ups, even the biggest ones, that I can succeed in that because of the grace of Jesus, I can ask my kids for forgiveness. And even when I screw up, what I hope they see and what I hope they do as they grow up is that they know that their daddy needs Jesus because they see it every day. But they also know that their daddy asks for forgiveness and knows when he's wrong and admits when he's wrong. And so even when I screw up, Jesus uses that to, to lead the people around me. That's a pleasant aroma still. Think about it this way. One of the most pleasant aromas that I think I ever smell is when people own up to when they screw up and admit that they're wrong. Like, I want to be around people like that. That's humility. That's admitting that you're wrong, when you're wrong. Those people, that's attractive. So it's not like, it's not, you can't read this and think that God's calling us to be perfect. He's not. 
But he is calling us as people to be a pleasant aroma to those around us. And one of the best ways to do that is when you screw up, tell the people that you screwed up and, and own that and ask for forgiveness from that. You know one of the most, one of the most foul smells, worse than any dirty diaper I've ever smelled? is when people blame everybody else for their screw-ups. And they never take ownership for the way that they screwed up. Man, that's a disgusting smell. I told my wife, so I took uh, my son to see a Rangers game on, on Thursday. Uh, we skipped school. Uh, it makes it extra cool. Uh, but anyway, so uh, I'm also, one thing, if you've known me in the past 10 years, you also know I'm really cheap. Uh, I hate to spend money. It hurts my heart. Um, and so at a Rangers game, I want Owen to have an awesome time, and I want him to get, like, cool new Rangers stuff, but we're not going to buy it in the ballpark. That's stupid. Um, so we went to the Walmart that's close to the Rangers park, ballpark, and we bought stuff there. Uh, and he was super excited. The same ball that was, like, $30 in the park was $6 at Walmart, you know? And it's the same one, and he was super excited. Uh, that's a free lesson. It's not even to do with this, so you can take that. Um, so I'm sitting in the, in the parking lot after we come back uh, from buying stuff at Walmart, and I'm looking up, since uh, I'm out of Nacogdoches, my rule whenever I'm out of Nacogdoches is uh, I'm going to eat somewhere that I can't get in Nacogdoches. Uh, and in Dallas, there's like too many options. I get paralyzed. Um, and so I was looking up on my phone like where I was going to go eat before I got home. And I was looking down at my phone. Owen was talking to me about his cool new Ranger stuff. And, uh, and the, our whole van shakes. I'm like, what in the world? Uh, and I look over, and the, the car next to me, the door is open. And so, I mean, it like literally shook our whole van. And so I don't, it's like he kicked his door open or something and it hit mine. It wasn't like a little tap, you know? So I open my door, and I go around, and I look, and I'm trying to see if there's like any dents or anything. Because uh, it's really obvious that he hit me, and uh, that his car door hit mine, and I see a little like chip of paint, and I'm like, just waiting for him to say something, you know? And he looks at me disgusted, and he was like, dude, it was just my door. And I was like, what? Uh, okay, that's all you got? And then he like stormed off and act like I was a jerk. And I was like, you, I was sitting in the car, and you just opened your door and hit my car, and you say like, oh, it's just my door, man. And then he left, and I was like, man, that, like, that is a stench of an odor of, like, I'm never going to own up to my stuff. Like, just tell me you're sorry. I'm not going to try to do anything. And I didn't do anything. But, like, that's so disgusting to me. And so even when we screw up as followers of Jesus, you can be a pleasant aroma as you screw up. Or you can make it a foul stench in the way that you screw up. That's freedom. And then the last verse, verse uh, 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fe fear God, honor the emperor. It sounds like I'm in a fraternity or something. I don't know, it's weird. <laughs> I, I'm sure like that's some fraternity saying somewhere. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, Mike, drop them out. No, like, what does that all mean? I mean, it's really simple, actually. Honor everyone and show everybody respect. Everybody's made in the image of Jesus, even if they're not living for him. Show them respect. They deserve it. Even if they don't deserve it, show them respect. Love the brotherhood. Scripture says this in multiple places, this idea that we're supposed to love believers. And by the way that we love other believers, like we're supposed to love them in such a way that people know that we are people of God by the way we love each other.
Like it should be distinct. It should be like all those little aromas coming together and it's such a powerful smell of goodness and it's like, man, I want to be a part of that. Whatever they're having, I want that. So we should love each other well as Christians. Fear God. Again, what I read in this, what I see in just those two words is like, man, all these leaders that I was just talking about, you don't have to fear those people. Fear God. He's the one that you should really fear because he's, he's the only one that has real authority. In all honesty, he lets other people borrow authority from him. So fear him. But at the same time, he makes it clear one more time, honor the emperor. Respect those in charge. Even if they don't love Jesus, respect those in charge. So if you really want to sum up everything that I've said, we could have, it would have been a lot faster if I just came up here and said, uh, love and respect all people. See you. Uh, it wouldn't have been as good, though, okay? And we would have had a lot of extra time. Um, so I felt like we should say it that way instead. But just think about that. How do I smell today, you know? Like, I think I smell pretty good just physically even. Um, but like what aroma am I putting off? The way that I re- react to people, the way that I live, uh, is that something that's drawing people in to Jesus? Or is it the way that I'm living my life pushing people away from Jesus? And it doesn't matter your circumstances. Again, these guys that were being addressed in all of this, they were literally having people come after them to kill them for following Jesus. I doubt that that will ever be the case in my life. I doubt it. But they were still a pleasant aroma in the midst of that that was giving life to people around them. Um, this church has been in such a, a good place for me. And so I also wanted to take this few minutes that I'm up here to say thank you to everybody that's been a part of my life and my family's life for the past 10 years. Lauren and I came here as 24-year-olds with no ministry experience whatsoever. I just knew I wanted to love students well. And so I'm thankful for you guys that were here then that took a risk on us. There's like a room of 32 people, husbands and wives, and me and Lauren sitting in front of them. I'll never forget it, at Lee Danis's house. And I was like, man, I am not ready for this. Um, and they just fired every question that they could at us. Uh, but I, I told them, like, I would love students well, and I knew I would get things wrong. Um, but, man, I've had so much freedom to get things wrong here. And so much grace in that. Um, Ten years in this place has made me the pastor that I am, has made me the husband that I am, and the father that I am to my kids. I'm thankful for that. I can't repay you for that. All of you, there's too many people to thank, but you all know who you are that have been a part of our lives. Um, this community, and he just surrounded us in so many ways. Uh, I can't say thank you enough. I just can't. I, I thought I'd get to, like, those of you that have been following along with our story, I thought I'd get to, like, wrap everything up, and this was going to be, like, a perfect little bow, you know, today. And like, yeah, hey, these two kids that we've been trying to adopt forever, it seems like, 
uh, are officially adopted and I have this job at this awesome place and this is how God is doing these things. None of that's happened. The, the, the place that I thought, uh, the camp that I was really pushing towards, I thought God was leading us, uh, I said no. And so I don't have a job. Our kids aren't adopted with no real date in sight. We're just waiting for people to do paperwork. So I have unadopted kids that we're ready to just make a part of our family. We have, we don't know where we're going next, but I still feel so strongly. I mean, I know, it's not just a feeling. I know Jesus. I know his voice in my life. I know he's calling us out of this place, and he's calling me into a different season of ministry in my life where we get to minister. I think Warren described it this way the other day to somebody uh, it's not that, student, that I'm sick of student ministry or I'm sick of students. I love students, and I love students so much. Um, and I've seen over the past 10 years um, students in the midst of broken families over and over again that, that it's created even a bigger passion to help families as a whole. That's what I want to do. I want to minister to marriages and to families and to students, and I think that's the better way for me to minister to students is to minister to their parents and their families so that they're in healthy spots. That's why I'm leaving this place. I know that's what God's calling me to do. I don't know the specifics of where that's going to be, but I also trust that he's going to bring that in the right amount of time. I trust in that, what has always been the refuge song to me, the last song that we sang, always, is, oh my God, you will not delay. Like it feels like to me right now that he's delaying, but I know him better than that. I know he's not going to delay, and I know he's going to come through always. And that he is my refuge. That's why this name is this name. So thank you to everybody who's been a part of that. Students, especially this semester. It's been the hardest semester of our lives, and you've been the best refuge for us. And I can't thank you enough. Um, this day is not all about me by any means. And so, uh, seniors, can you come up here? If you're a senior and you're here, just come up to the front right here. Uh, I just want to pray for you. Uh, I've never felt uh, closer to where you all are at right now. Usually it's like I'm bitter at you because you're leaving me and I'm angry and I'm praying with everything in me that you would come to SFA and there's like eight of you or something like that that are coming to SFA, which I'm like, man, that's awesome. Uh, Ask them, right? All the other ones, you picked the wrong schools, sorry. Um, But I always pray that students would stay at SFA because then I just get more time with them. Uh, but now, like, I feel like I'm a graduating senior with them. Like, hey, we're moving on. I don't, we're all going separate ways, guys. Uh, but I do feel in a very similar place to them as uh, I think we're all in the same place. Where we're like, man, there's, I know there's some good stuff coming, but I don't know what all those specifics are, and that scares me and excites me at the same time. Uh, but what I would say to you that I'm saying to myself right now, um, it's okay, I can talk to the back of your heads, it's fine. Um, is that uh, wherever you go, wherever you're going, and wherever you go out after college or in the middle of college, if those things change, Jesus will always be with you, and he's always calling you to lead people to him. He's always calling you to be a pleasant aroma to the people around you, and you can choose that wherever you go. And so you always have real purpose, no matter what school or even if you don't choose school, you always have real purpose to love people well and point them to him. Keep doing that. 
Keep doing that as students. Keep doing that when you have families of your own. Keep being that person, those people. And I love you all so much. I'm so proud of you. I'm so thankful for you. Uh, some of you have known since you were like little babies, you know? Um, but just let me pray for you. If, if you want to come up here and um, put your hand on one of these people that you love and, and just pray with them, or you just want to pray for your seeds, that's fine. I'm going to pray for them, and then we're going to sing one last song. Um, and and uh, it's going to be oceans, so you're prepared, because I think that's what I want for you, what I want for us, is that we would step out in faith where God is leading, uh, even though it's scary, and trust that he's never going to fail, because he never has and he never will. Uh, I love you all. I'm thankful for you. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll sing together, worship together one more time. Father, we thank you for these seniors. I thank you for uh, the families they represent and all of the hard work of these parents that have got them to this point. Uh, so I pray that you would encourage their parents, uh, that, they've, that they've fulfilled their role well. I know Satan wants to get in there and, and get them to doubt everything. I pray that you would steady their hearts on the truth, uh, steady the hearts of their parents, that, man, this is what they are called to do. They're called to raise their children up like the arrows of a warrior, and they're supposed to let those arrows go. It doesn't do any good if you keep them all the time. And so I pray that they would let them go well and trust that they're going to fly straight because of all the time and effort they've put in with them. Thank you, thank you for the people, not just parents, but the, this community of people that have surrounded them and helped them become the men and women that they are. One of the biggest gifts of student ministry is just seeing their boldness all the time. And the students are bold. They've caused me to be so much bolder in my life because of who they are. So I pray for all of us that we would just follow you with everything. God, that we would know your voice, that we would listen to your voice, and we would just say yes, no matter how crazy, no matter how normal, whatever it is that you're calling us to do, that we would just say yes, that we would step out in faith and trust that you're going to catch us, and you're going to use us, and so I pray that all of these people all the seniors this year that are going out all these different places, man, that's what you call us to. We're not supposed to stay in the same place and just be safe. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not safe, but you're good. Thank you that following you is never boring. It may be scary, but it's never boring. It's an adventure. And so as they step out in this next step, into that adventure even more, I pray that you would support them, that you would give them communities that, that love them well and point them to you. I pray that they would be people that help create healthy communities, that they'd be bold enough to do that. The ways that they've been loved here, uh, that they would bring that to other people that have never felt that. We trust you, Jesus. You are good. You are in control. And you love us. Those things are always true. Always. Even when we don't feel like they're true, they're true. Remind them of that every step of the way, that they are loved, that you are leading them, and they have purpose in you, God. We love you and we trust you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.